verse 36. Now one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair and kissed them and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two men owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he cancelled the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt cancelled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is the word of the Lord. Tim, would you? Tim's going to come speak to us now. I'll just pray for him before he does. Father, thank you for, for Tim and for his leadership. And Lord, I just pray for him now that the words he speaks will, will just hit home, will speak to us really very clearly and challenge us, Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Well, hello again, everybody. Lovely to see you. Thank you, Ben and all the band, for leading us in worship. It's always uh, a real joy, isn't it, and a privilege to worship the Lord. Although I must say that worship songs today, some of the lyrics are really questionable. We used to sing to Jesus, and now we're singing to some person called Andy. I, I, I'm <laughs> now, we all know what they're talking about, and the poor band have no clue. <laughs> so, <laughs> that was great. That was really good, that was. What are they coming to, eh? Anyway, but... Here we are then. We've arrived at our fourth and final church value. We will worship God creatively and passionately 
responding to God's word in every aspect of our lives. Gosh, it's no small thing, that is it? It's quite a challenge. So let's lighten the moment, shall we? Let's begin with a joke. Tom and Sam, ages five and three, were waiting for breakfast one Saturday morning. As their mum was preparing some pancakes, the boys began to argue loudly over who would get the first one from the pan. And so their mother saw the opportunity for a lesson in generosity. She said, boys, if Jesus was sitting here, he'd say, let my brother have the first pancake. I'll wait. Tom immediately turned to his younger brother and said, okay, Sam, you be Jesus. You laughed, you see, you groaned, and then you laughed. See, passions can easily run high. What are you passionate about? Is it cooking? Gardening? Football? Yeah. Sailing? Justice? The environment? Is it politics? What about the NHS? What about your neighbourhood? Or Baston Hill? What are you passionate about? We're all passionate about something or some things. So what you need to do is either think about it yourself or turn to your neighbour and have a little natter about what you're passionate about and just share that with one or two people around you. Go for it. Well, that was interesting. You see, I learned something there. Uh, you know, Nat and I just had a little Natter, and he's passionate about narrow-gauge trains, which is a good thing, and drumming. Yes, uh, there's another person passionate about trains just there, look. And drumming, I'm uh, passionate about anything creative, music, and justice, a sense of justice, things being right. That's, that's me. So I wonder what it is for you. Well, Joss Wedden... He's a screenwriter and film producer. He said this. Passion. It lies in all of us. Sleeping. Waiting. And though often unwanted, unbidden, it will stir. Open its jaws and howl. It speaks to us. It guides us. Passion rules us all. And we obey. What other choice do we have? Passion is the source of our finest moments. The joy of love. The ecstasy of grief. It hurts sometimes more than we can bear. If we could live without passion, maybe we'd know some kind of peace. But we would be hollow. We'd be empty rooms, shuttered and dank. Without passion, we'd be dead. It's quite a a creative take on passion. Just one take. But our final church value is based on the assumption that all members of Christ Church based in Hill will share a passion, and a very important one at that. And that all our passion, and all our passions, will be channeled into worshipping God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And Andy won't get a look in. (laughs) This final value brings all our values as a whole full, full circle. The first three focus on our relationship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in turn, each of them. And this fourth value 
looks at how we worship the Trinity and how our lives respond to the word of the Trinity. And so we're going to explore this with the help from the passage from Luke's gospel that we heard read by Lexi. Now I've said it before and no doubt I'll say it again. I think this passage was given the wrong title, not by Luke, but by subsequent people who organised the scriptures. I don't think it should be called Jesus anointed by a sinful woman. It would be better called Jesus anointed by a forgiven woman. After all, that's why she's there. That's why she's doing what she's doing. That's why she does what she does, as we'll come on to see. And so as we delve, what can we find in this particular chunk of Luke's story that will help us to put our final value into practice, to live it out, to flesh it out. Well, firstly, we see our first point is that creative, passionate worship is not a style of service. It's not a style of service. It flows from the heart. It's something that flows from the heart. Worship can only ever be our response to all that God has done for us. And as the reality of his love and care and forgiveness sink in. Worship then pours out of our hearts back to him. This is the cycle of worship that begins with God. It's his initiation and that's a wonderful thing. And it's what we see in Luke's gospel. This woman has experienced the acceptance, love and forgiveness of Jesus and her heart overflows in grateful thanks. Now this woman comes prepared to give this offering to Jesus. So, presumably, this love and care and forgiveness is something that she's begun to experience before this moment, in another place, another episode, another encounter with Jesus. And so this is already uh, the love of God at work in her life and in her heart. And so she comes then to offer this grateful thanks to Jesus. It's her offering that is pouring out from her heart. Now, if worship becomes more about what we have to muster up, then it can become dry as dust. It can feel empty and pointless even. And at those times, as a church community, we need to encourage one another to go to Jesus. To experience again his love that welcomes us just as we are. And that grace that wipes away every blot, blemish and stain on our character and our lifestyle. It's this loving relationship with God through Jesus that is the fuel for our worship. There's no navigating that. So then, what do you need to do to have that relationship, that loving relationship with God through Jesus, restored or renewed? Please don't just go through the motions anymore. Speak to someone who can help you, encourage you, someone who can pray with you. And as this church community increasingly gives our attention to our relationship with Jesus, worship will flow from the heart because of all that God is doing in us. And that will just be a continuous flow. Worship from the heart, you know, it won't settle for same old, same old. New worship will be inspired. Fresh creativity will be sparked in all sorts of ways and in all sorts of places. The second thing then we see in the story of the forgiven woman is that worship is not just an event. It's a lifestyle interjected with moments 
like this one that Luke describes. Now the woman doesn't wait for a special Jewish festival or a time of prayer. Do you notice that? What she does, she gate crashes, sorry, she gate crashes a party, a dinner party. And then she uses the things that she has available to her at the time. And she uses those as resources for her worship. What does she use? She uses oil, she uses hair, tears, and kisses. Those are the things that she makes use of. And this goes to show that what we have available at any point can be used in worship throughout the day. And it can be used in a variety of places. So our computer keyboard can be a resource for worship. So can our words in the staff room, or our interaction around the family dinner table, or our visit to someone in need. In his letter to the church in Rome, Paul tells his Christian brothers and sisters to offer, in view of God's mercy, note that, in view of God's mercy, so in response to God's love for you, God's initiation, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This, he says, is your spiritual act of worship. You can read about that in Romans chapter 12. So we're to offer our whole selves, our whole lives, our whole beings in worship. Bishop Graham Cray wisely says that the trouble with living sacrifices is that they keep climbing down off the altar. It's true, isn't it? We keep climbing down off the altar. We forget or we choose not to worship. And I include myself in that. We forget to worship at work. We forget to worship in front of the computer. We forget to worship when we're having a row. Or when we're gossiping. Or when we're criticising. Or when we're passing judgement on the things that we're not prepared to act on ourselves. We forget to worship when we forget to look after those in need, those who need our love and our care. We forget or we choose not to worship. We climb down off the altar in so many ways at so many times. And our fourth value is a reminder to commit ourselves to worshipping God always and everywhere. So what can you do to nurture a lifestyle of worship What steps can you take to offer your whole self, your whole being, in worship to God? Living out this value will enable us to know that no matter where we are as a church, whether we're gathered in this church building like we are now, or whether we're scattered in a host of different places, we'll all be worshipping God in our own ways. So that second point then leads on to the third thing we see from Luke's story. Thirdly, Life-changing worship can happen in the hard places. The forgiven woman makes her offering to Jesus in a place where she's effectively an unwelcome guest. All eyes are on her. It's a hostile environment. People are openly critical of her. Her behaviour is questioned and she's written off. And yet this very moment... This encounter with Jesus in this hard place for her changes her life forever. And it changes her life for the better. In what hard places can you and I offer our worship to God? The places where 
our love for God or the stand we make for him is questioned or it's ridiculed. The places where we're openly criticised for our faith. Those hostile environments that we spend some or most of our lives inhabiting. Be encouraged. Be encouraged. Because just as with the forgiven woman, the grace of God is to be found in places like that. So be courageous. Make your stand. Make your offering for Jesus. And he will receive it. And he will bless you in it. And as you meet Jesus there in those hard places, a passion for him will rise up within you that will enable you to worship God in every corner of your existence. Fourthly then, the fourth thing we see in this amazing story is that criticism is a worship killer. Criticism is to worship what weed killer is to weeds. The criticism levelled at the woman by Simon doesn't kill the woman's worship. You notice that. Far from it. But any opportunity for Simon to offer worship from the heart withers, thanks to his judging and critical behaviour and words. But Jesus loves Simon, despite his critical ways, and he challenges him to see how the grace of God works in practice. Sitting critically on the sidelines of worship happens a lot more than we care to admit. And it's what we see Simon doing. And it affects our own lives. And it affects the whole of our worshipping community. Other people may still worship just like the woman worshipped. But because we're not worshipping for whatever reason, the whole community is harmed. It's the mutuality of the body of Christ. Because it affects us all. So when do our principles and criticisms get in the way of worship? How do they cause us to sit critically on the sidelines? And how do we worship as a church and think that we know better than Jesus? And how can his love and his grace inspire us to worship? These are questions that our value challenges us to engage with. And this point leads on to our fifth and final point for us to explore. That worship is something each of us needs to take responsibility for. When we each take hold of a strand of our worship, together we weave something wonderful, something beautiful, together with God's help. The woman came determined to offer her worship to Jesus. No one else had to do anything for her. She used the things that she had available to her at the time. And she used her own initiative. Now notice the others in the story. The other guests, they're not engaged. Quite the opposite. Simon too is told by Jesus in quite a firm way that he hasn't taken the opportunity to give anything worthwhile to Jesus at all. But the forgiven woman and the response of Jesus to her Encourage us all to take responsibility, to take a strand of our worship so that we can begin weaving something beautiful together. To use those things that God has given us, our creativity, our skills, our talents, our time, our passions, all in worship. So that together we are actively offering something wonderful to Jesus 
we're weaving something beautiful. So what are you going to do to ensure that you take responsibility and continue to do this for your worship and for the shared worship of Christ Church? So there you have it. Our fourth value is both challenging and encouraging. And so I encourage us all, when the values are printed out for us and when they're published on the website, I encourage you to use them as a pattern for prayer. To pray that collectively and individually we'll be known for being a community that embodies these values. That we're a community that is responding, firstly, to the Father's love by being a welcoming and caring community, sharing generously what God has given us. Secondly, that we'll be following Jesus by living out the new life that he offers to us. Thirdly, that we will, that we will be helping each other to receive the life-changing power of the Holy Spirit. And finally, that we'll be worshipping God creatively and passionately, responding to God's word in every aspect of our lives. As God enables us to put these values into practice, we'll find that we will change as a community. And the way that we do things will change too. Our behaviour will change. Our attitude towards one another will change. Our attitudes to those who are not yet part of our church community will change. Because these values express aspirations that can only lead to growth and adventure. Amen. Tim. Tim, 